Welcome to the National Capital Bible Church. Glad you're here. And we continue our guests with Jim and Phyllis. We're certainly glad you're here. And so as we prepare for our, our service, what I'd like for you to do is turn just briefly to 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, to get us started, in chapter 4, a passage that I've quoted many times in the past, but today I think I'll rely on reading. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, beginning at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For your light affliction, which is but for a moment is working for us a far more exceedingly and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the extraordinary information that we have through the Word of God. But, Father, it's really your Word, the Word of God. And we're thankful that God, Holy Spirit, has presented it to us. And this, of course, in Second Corinthians 4.16 and following, is just a wonderful promise to us. We're thankful for our opportunity to study this morning, be part of our service, and we ask for your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Hal and Laura. Always sounds great. We also had some strong voices, so that's wonderful praising, praising of our Lord. I always like to have a call to worship as we begin And this morning, it's going to be Psalm, Psalm 139. Psalm is a wonderful book, has many chapters, and I certainly enjoy reading it and the the encouragement that comes from it. So, Psalm 139, a psalm of David and Verse 1 says, O Lord, you have searched me and know me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. This is a merism. That means he knows everything, not just when we stand and when we sit down. So if you're laying down, it's not that he's not. So it tells us that he knows everything about us. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether, completely. You have hedged 
me behind and before. God protects us. He is with us. We doubt that at times, but he is with us. You have hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. His power is with us, in other words. Verse 6. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Just wonderful truths and encouragement. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful that as we begin our service tonight, our next, this morning, and our next part of the service is the offering. So we ask, Father, for your blessing upon it, but also upon our service completely. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul tells us that, but this I say, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one of you should give just as you have decided in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, because God loves a willing, gracious, cheerful giver. Father, we're thankful for the the gifts that we will receive at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. We have God's revelation in writing. This is important. It's significant because the fact that it's in writing means that we can verify its accuracy, its veracity. It doesn't change. It has not changed. God has given his word to us, and we can see that God speaks truth. Whatever he has revealed has come to pass or will come to pass exactly as he has told us. Now, because God has revealed to us his will, his plan, his provision, and we have this in writing, we're responsible then for what we do with that revelation. And so it's up to us then to take it in, to understand it, and then to make application of this. So we need not only knowledge, but we need wisdom. Wisdom is a skill. Wisdom is the application of knowledge to your own personal experience. So there are many people who know, but they don't do. And therefore, they are the ones who lack wisdom. So it's important for us to study the Word. And when we study the Word, this in itself is an act of worship, because when we study the Word, we are acknowledging this revelation from God. God, you spoke to us. You told us how to live, how to think. And so when we study His Word, it's a way of submitting to the will of God and recognizing that we have a responsibility before Him. So as we come to the Word of God, once again, let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give thanks that indeed You have revealed Yourself to us. I thank You that we have this revelation in written form so that we can read it in our own language. We can come to understand what You desire of us and the things that You've provided for us. I pray that we would not turn away from this revelation, 
but rather we would embrace it, that we would desire to know more and more about you and your plan. So I ask that this morning your Holy Spirit will give us understanding about those things that we will see from your Word, and we might see how we ought to apply those things in our own lives so that we can fulfill your purpose and bring glory to you by doing so. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I remember seeing a bumper sticker years ago that said, If God does not judge America, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. (laughs) And for years we have heard people say, Judgment is coming to America. I submit to you, judgment is not coming to America. Judgment has come upon America. We are a nation under divine judgment. So this morning I want to remind you of certain biblical principles, not because you don't know them, but because I think it's good for us to refresh our thinking and have clarity of thought in these days, because we are in a world of chaos. There is so much confusion, so much uncertainty. People are living in fear. There's great confusion as to what we ought to be doing and how we ought to view the world. But the only proper way for us to view the world is through the lens of Scripture so that we know what is God doing. And how am I to orient to what is going on in the world? What is my responsibility? Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. So this applies to the United States. This is not specific for Israel. This is any people. This is any nation. Now, in Leviticus chapter 26... Deuteronomy chapter 28, these are two passages with which you should be very familiar. Leviticus 26 actually gives you the basis for understanding the rest of the Old Testament. Because in that passage, God says, If you obey me, I will bless you. I will pour out tremendous blessing on you. I will give you prosperity. I will give you wealth. I will protect you from disease. I will protect you from foreign invasion. And you're going to just have great benefit from hearing and obeying my word. But if you do not pay attention to my word, then I will bring upon you judgment. Now, the judgment is defined in Leviticus 26 in five increments or five cycles. And these cycles of discipline are designed to get your attention. This was given to Israel. And God is saying, if you don't obey me, then I'm going to make it hurt. I'm going to bring judgment upon you. And the purpose is to get you to return to my word. But if you don't learn from this light discipline, then I'm going to turn up the heat. I'm going to increase the judgment. And I will bring upon you yet more severe judgments. 
Again, it's designed to get people to turn back to the Lord. But if you won't do that, then I am going to increase the discipline. And so it goes until you get down to the fifth cycle of discipline in which there will be the destruction of the nation. And this is something that can be seen throughout the Old Testament, how this passage actually works out in the history of Israel. When they followed the Lord, they had blessing, they had prosperity, they had victory over their enemy, they had peace in the nation. But when they turned against the Lord, when they began to ignore His Word, God brought judgment. And He brought more judgment. And He brought more judgment. And so they had periods of peace and prosperity. They had periods of judgment. And so you can follow this throughout the history of Israel in the Old Testament. But it also answers for us the question about what about Israel today? Israel today remains a nation under judgment. They have been scattered throughout the nations of the world, just as foretold in Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28. And they remain under a curse from God today, even as God told them would happen, particularly in Deuteronomy chapter 28. So what is this cycle of discipline that we're talking about? It's national judgment for disobedience to the Word. So the five cycles of discipline are introduced in Leviticus 26 by a phrase that indicates disobedience on the part of Israel, followed by the pronouncement of specific disciplines which God would bring upon the nation. Now, we're not going to take the time this morning to go through uh, the, the text. I hope that you will read this. Just refresh your memory when you go home after church today. So as the nation accumulates disobedience and rejects the Word of God, judgment increases. And this can be seen very clearly in the ministries of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, and the other prophets. So they bring discipline upon themselves through rejection of the Word. So he says, if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. I will appoint terror over you, wasting disease, fever, which will consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. You shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you. You'll be defeated by your enemies. And those who hate you will rule over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues. Now, that's the beginning of discipline. Think how horrible all of this is. And why does God do this? Because they reject His Word. So in the second cycle of discipline, he expands on the first one. He's going to increase the discipline. So in the second cycle, there will be economic collapse. There will be drought. There will be bad harvest. Third cycle of discipline, there will be plagues. There will be violence. The children will be attacked. Oh, this third cycle of discipline, it's so... Horrible. 
violence. Do we see an increase in violence in our nation today? Even in our churches. We've had these mass shootings. People break into a church, open fire, because they hate Christians, they hate conservatives. And they come in and they kill even Christians. Not only that, you can go out on the streets. It's not safe in many places. Increase in violence, and we see it every day on the news. It gets worse and worse. And not only that, he says, evil beasts will rob you of your children. And that's happening today. Think about what's happening in our public schools, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade. Evil beasts are robbing us of our children. So verse 22, I will also send wild beasts among you, violent people. They will rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. The fourth cycle of discipline, there is foreign invasion. Do we have invasion today? Thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people are invading this country. People fleeing their homes to find refuge. Pestilence. Pestilence. That's an Old Testament word for COVID-19. Okay? Or monkeypox or whatever it is. It's a disease. And then comes rationing. You have problems with the economy. Do we have that in this nation? Oh, yes, we do. And uh, then the fifth cycle of discipline will be destruction of the nation and deportation from the land due to rejection of biblical principles. Now, this, these things apply to Israel, specifically to Israel. We can't say that they specifically apply to this nation, but there are principles that we can learn about how God judges any nation. So... How does God judge a nation? We can see these principles throughout Scripture, how God will bring certain things on any nation that is going to rebel against His principles for establishment. And when people rebel against His Word, what will there be? Economic collapse. Things get worse and worse. You will have uh, loss of income, and this will be due to a number of factors. There will be disease, there will be famine, invasion of foreigners, violence. And then there is also a very interesting judgment found in Romans chapter 1, in which God allows people to express their sin nature with impunity. God says, do you want to do that? Go ahead where God does not restrain evil in a nation when the people have turned their backs on the Word of God. And the result is perversion. Do we see that today? I submit to you that we do, and it's growing. And it's becoming worse and worse in this nation. God says, you want to do that? I'm going to let you do it. And that in itself is a judgment because there are always consequences to actions. Bad actions have bad consequences. And we sow to the wind, we will reap the whirlwind, and it's going to become worse and worse until finally 
you have destruction of the nation. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 and 4, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They don't want the teaching of the Word of God. And I submit to you that much of the uh, problem that we have in this nation today is a failure in the church, where churches have watered down the message, where they have turned away from the gospel of grace, where they have turned away from the teaching of the Word of God. And so today people get platitudes. Today you hear messages on how to be successful. You hear uh, lessons on how to become rich and prosperous or how to become healthy, but not according to the Word of God. According to their own desires, their own lusts, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Oh, they go to church. They have a form of godliness, but they don't have the power of godliness because that godliness is not present in them. They are walking according to the flesh and not according to the Spirit. And we see this all around us. What are we going to do? First Samuel twelve fourteen, I think, teaches a very important principle for the nation. And the principle is this. The nation gets the leadership it deserves. If you fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and do not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. In Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 through 10, Jeremiah was told to go down to the house of the potter. And he did, and he saw this potter making a pot on the wheel, and uh, the man was making this pot. And as he was forming this pot, there was something in the clay that caused the pot to be ruined. And so he just smashed down that clay and started all over. Going to make it again. And so the application of this is found in verses 7 to 10. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom, this could be any nation. It could be the United States. To pluck up, to pull down, and to destroy it. If that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will repent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. We're still here. Which means there's hope. As long as we're here, there's hope. But understand that in the grace of God, there comes a point at which God says, that's enough. Think of the generation of Noah. Noah built an ark. There was 120 years in which Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And he is warning of coming judgment. And he built that ark and he preached. Put animals into the ark. He and his family got into the ark. And then God closed the door. God closed the door. 
The rain began to descend. The waters rose. Do you think there were people on the outside banging on the side of that ark? I do. Too late. There comes a point at which it's too late. Now, God's mercy is for thousands upon thousands of generations for those who fear Him. But God's judgment will come upon those who reject Him. And He gives a period of warning. There's always grace before judgment. That's a biblical principle. We can see that throughout Scripture. Grace precedes judgment. But there comes a time, if the people do not respond to the grace of God, then God says, too late. And so in verse 9, the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, that's blessing. If it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will repent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. So God says, I'll bless. I'll pour out blessing upon you. And the United States has been blessed more than any nation in all of human history. We have had greater prosperity. We have had greater freedom than any nation that has ever existed. Right here, we've had it. But if you don't want to acknowledge God and respond, then he says, I'm going to change and I'm going to tear that nation down. Now, we see some principles that we need to keep in mind very clearly uh, from the book of Daniel, chapter 2, verse 20, 21. Daniel answered and said this, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His, and He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. You might want to emphasize that. God removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Now, in Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5, we have a statement that is repeated four times. Now, when you find something repeated in Scripture over and over again, That ought to get your attention. This is important. Daniel chapter 4, verses 17, 25, and 32. Identical. The Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and He gives it to whomever He chooses. Daniel 5, 21. The Most High God rules in the kingdom of men, and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Now here we have a statement of the sovereignty of God. He is the supreme ruler. Things are not out of control in this world. God is the sovereign, and things are moving according to the plan of God. It's going in the direction that God knew it would go, and he made plans for it. Now, to me, these are just startling statements. The Most High God rules in the kingdom of men. Is your God in control right now? Is He the sovereign over what's happening in this nation? He appoints over it whomever He chooses. So is your God sovereign? Yes. 
Let me ask you a question. Could your God have changed the outcome of the election in 2020? Could he have done that? Could he have given a different result? Could your God do that? Yes. Didn't do it, did he? Why not? He has a different plan. You see, we get the kind of government that we deserve, and you're going to say, oh, we don't deserve this. Oh, yes, we do. We are an evil people. We are an evil nation. That's not to say every individual is rebelling against God, because surely we are not. But as a people, we are. You have Daniel, about whom nothing negative is ever said in all of Scripture. Daniel taken captive by the Babylonians when he was but a teenager, taken to Babylon where he was emasculated, where he was made a slave. But he continued to trust God. He continued to seek to glorify God in every aspect of his life, and God honored that. And God raised him up. But yet, he suffered. He suffered because of his nation. And we... The people of God, we may suffer also, not particularly because of individual sins, but because we are in an evil nation. And so we may have disease, we may have famine, we may have economic collapse, and it may touch every one of us because we are in this nation. What are you going to do? What is our responsibility in light of all of this? In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. We need to be praying for our national leaders. I hope you are praying for President Biden. You better pray that God will protect him. You better pray that God will keep him alive. Because if he doesn't, <laughs> I think it will be an increase in judgment. Are you praying for those in authority? for those in his cabinet, for those who have authority in many different realms in this nation. We need to be praying for these people. Pray for their salvation. Pray for their protection. Pray that they're going to have the ability to understand reality, that they can see things for what they truly are, and then that they will have the courage to make the right decision in spite of all of the pressure that might be put upon them to do otherwise. We need to be praying for them. Seriously. Are we doing that? And if we're not, then we're part of the reason why judgment is coming upon this nation. You want to know how to pray for your nation? I would say this afternoon, go home and read Daniel chapter 9. Now, we're familiar with the last part of Daniel chapter 9 because that's where you have that great prophecy about the 70 weeks. But the first half of that chapter is Daniel praying for his nation. 
It's an incredible prayer. Daniel was not leading a sinful lifestyle. He was not rebelling against the Lord. But he prays and he said, We are an evil people. We have turned away from God. We deserve this judgment. And Daniel was very familiar with Leviticus chapter 26. Read that and get some instruction about praying for the nation. This was interesting. Phyllis and I happened to be in Jerusalem on December 6, 2017. We'd been down in the city of David and we walked up the hill and now it's, it's dusk. Sun has gone down. Just a little bit of light left. It was a rainy day. As we came up the hill, I said to Phyllis, something is happening. Something is going on here because I saw a whole line of media trucks, maybe 15 or 20 of those trucks out there that have the big satellite dishes on them. And I said, something is happening, something big. And as we walked up the hill, I began to see projected on the walls of Jerusalem the Israeli flag and then came the American flag. Wow, what is this? We had no idea what was going on. What is happening? We didn't know. We just saw this uh, projection on the walls, and it, w- it was amazing to see this. And it took us about an hour to get back to our room, and when we got there, we turned on the television, and we heard this announcement that Trump would officially recognize Jerusalem as Israel's capital. Now, the photo is something I took the next day. This is City Hall in Jerusalem. And they had American flag, Israeli flag, American flag, Israeli flag, all around that building. It was a wonderful sight for us to see this. But you see what happened in 2022? Biden reverses Trump's recognition of Jerusalem as its capital. We also saw... (laughs) Some posters around Jerusalem. I had never seen this before. What's the middle of Jerusalem? It's USA. I thought, well, that's amazing. I had never noticed that before. But they had a lot of posters around the city like this. I think God will bless those people who bless Israel and curse those people who curse Israel. And where are we as a nation? We need to pray. But how do we pray? I think oftentimes our prayers are very selfish or very short-sighted. And that we pray oftentimes for the wrong reason. James says, You have not because you ask not. You ask and you don't receive because you ask for the wrong reason. You ask so that you can just satisfy yourself. How should we pray? Well, we need to pray that God will be glorified by answering our prayers. When the Apostle Paul prayed, and if you want to get a good instruction in prayer, look up all the prayers of the Apostle Paul or the prayers that you find in Scripture. Paul's prayers did not include uh, busy schedules, Aunt Susie's lumbago, promotions at work, had (laughs) 
had a young man in Ukraine came up to me and says, I want you to pray that I'm going to have good luck on my final exams. <laughs> I said, I don't pray for luck. But this is the kind of things that uh, often get on our prayer lists. Not that these things shouldn't be prayed for. I think we should. The Bible tells us pray for what we want. But why do we pray for these things? There's something I believe that can transform our prayers. What is it that motivates people? Most people today are concerned with their own comfort. What's the goal of your life? And if you were to write down right now, the goal of my life is, what would it be? Most people, if you take their answers and you distill them all, it comes out to something like, I want to be comfortable. I want health. Why? Well, I don't like to be unhealthy. I don't like to be sick. Well, of course not. I want to be wealthy. Why? Well, you know, it, it's a pain to be poor. <laughs> it's, uh, so we, we want to be comfortable. I want, I want relationships to be improved. Why? I had some woman drag her son into church. He was 26, 27 years old. She came pulling her son and she said, I want you to tell my son to stop drinking. And I said, why do you want me to pray for him to stop drinking? She said, well, that's obvious. I said, no, why do you want him to stop drinking? She said, because he makes my life miserable. Oh, you want him to stop drinking so you'll be comfortable. Yes. So I'm not going to pray for him to stop drinking. I said, I will pray about his salvation, but I'm not going to pray for him to stop drinking. I'd pray for his spiritual relationship with the Lord, but I'm not going to ask, what, God going to take away his desire for drink so you can be comfortable? No. And uh, I said, he'll stop drinking when he wants to stop drinking. But I'm not going to pray that God's going to take away his desire for alcohol so you can be comfortable. But I will pray that he'll stop drinking so that God will be glorified. You know that young man... <laughs> started coming to church. He couldn't believe some preacher would say <laughs> that I wasn't going to chew him out or admonish him to uh, um, stop drinking. He started coming to church. He got saved. After a few years, he said, I want to study at your Bible college. Oh. But we pray often, God, make it better. Why? We need to pray that God is going to be glorified in the situation whether things get better or not. We are here for God's purposes. God has not called us to comfort and ease. He has not called us to success and prosperity. He has called us for His purposes. You know, we say, well, God, I'm so tired. I'm so busy. I've got this problem. I've got that problem. God, money is so tight. Are you praying just for God to make things better? Or are you praying that God is going to be glorified in your situation? That, that will radically change 
the way that you pray. And so, you might consider this, God, now that I think about it, don't make my life better unless it will glorify you. Are you going to pray that? (laughs) Think about it. We have some great promises from God. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Oh, you see, it's about glorifying God in your situation. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, Matthew 5.16. 2 Thessalonians 1, verses 11 and 12. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in Him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a spiritual gift. Each one of you has a spiritual gift. Why? Not for you. Not for your glory but so that you can glorify God with it. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Now, what is your goal in life? In 2 Corinthians 5, 9, the Apostle Paul says, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent. That's another merism, Dan, which means at all times. <laughs> To be well-pleasing to Him. What is your goal? See, what is your aim? The word aim here, this is... It's a word that means this is where you put your emphasis. This is what you love to give honor to. This is what you put up on the shelf. What's your goal? He says, we make this our goal, to be well-pleasing to Him. So in whatever I do, my thoughts, my words, my actions, it needs to be, I want to please God with this. I want to glorify God. Colossians 1.10, I see four things in this verse. This is part of a prayer of the Apostle Paul as he prays for the people in Colossae. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. That's your conduct. That needs to be our daily goal, to walk worthy of the Lord. Secondly, fully pleasing Him. That means every aspect of your life, to please Him in all respects, as it says in the NAS. That means every area of your life. How do you think? How do you speak? How do you live? In every area, I need to be thinking, how am I going to please the Lord? Thirdly, being fruitful in every good work. Let's do something that's productive. 
Let's think about how can I glorify God? How can I serve the Lord today? And then forth to increase in the knowledge of God. What's your goal? How can I glorify God in this? We had a good friend, had terminal cancer, getting close to the end of his days. I saw him and I said, Max, how you doing? He said, I'm dying. Ain't it great? He said, I'm going to get to heaven before you do. I'm going to see Jesus before you do. And he said, I'm looking forward to it. And everywhere he went, the doctors, the nurses, he was telling them how happy he was. One of the greatest testimonies I ever heard was a man by the name of Sternberg, Dr. Sternberg. He was the leading oncologist in the state of Arkansas, an atheistic Jew who became a believer in Jesus. And he gave his testimony and he said, one of the things that brought me to put faith in Jesus was in my business... Most of my patients die. But Christians don't die like other people. To me, that was just one of the most startling things I had ever heard. Christians don't die like other people. He said, I watched hundreds of people die. And he said, I, I walk into a room, somebody's dying, and they would say, Doc, I know I'm going to die. But I know where I'm going. One day you're going to be in this bed and you're going to die. Where are you going to go? He said, and they were more concerned about me than they were about themselves. And he said, and I watched Christian families and they were joyful. They were happy. They were not worried. They weren't bitter. They weren't fearful. They weren't angry. They weren't arguing about how they're going to split up the, the inheritance. He said, they're rejoicing in salvation. Christians don't die like other people. You see, you have a man here who's dying, and he's not concerned about his own comfort. He's thinking, how can I glorify the Lord in this situation? And that's what we need to do day by day. We face difficulties. We face problems. We get frustrated. But the question is, how can I glorify the Lord in this situation so maybe we ought to be praying like this. May these light and momentary afflictions. We read about that this morning, didn't we? May these light and momentary afflictions be the means by which I glorify you. God, this is my life. Let me glorify you in it. God has a purpose. Whatever you're going through, God knows where you are. He knows what you need. And He may not make your life more comfortable. But He has promised to bless you. So judgment has come upon America. And we're going to suffer. I'm sure of that. But it's a great time to be alive because we are here for God's purposes. And we are told that we are to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. And that's where we are today. This is a crooked and perverse generation. An evil people. And yet God has you here for a purpose. Glorify God in it.
Think about what has He told us to do? How are we to live? Time is short. God has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you and He's made provision for you. Things may be grim. It may get very murky, very dark. And yet God has a purpose for you. Pray to glorify Him. Our Heavenly Father, we give thanks to You that You are God of mercy. You've not dealt with us according to our sins. You've not rewarded us according to our iniquities. And how can any man complain in light of his own sinfulness? Surely we deserve judgment. But Father, I pray that there might be a revival in this land. We're still here by your grace. I pray that there might be a turning back to you that your word might go forth with power from many pulpits, even this day. That pastors who have neglected the teaching of the word might realize what they've been called to do. And that your word would take root and bear fruit in many lives. And that we would see even your own people, your own children, desire to walk worthy of the Lord. I pray that our national leaders would also be able to see things from the divine perspective. They might see that there is right, there is wrong, and that it's righteousness that exalts a nation. I pray that you will give them a very clear view of how things work according to your plan. We know that there are many forces of evil seeking to destroy this nation. It would also destroy your word, hinder its propagation. I pray, Father, you would keep the forces of evil at bay so that we can continue to proclaim Jesus as the only Savior, that we can continue to teach the truth of your word. But whatever comes, I pray that we as your people would be strong that your word will be an anchor in the soul, that we might have stability and sanity and peace that comes from knowing you and trusting in your sovereignty and your omnipotence and your mercy and your love. So I pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to understand these things and Help us to see what we need to do to apply these things in our lives so that you will be glorified in our prayers, in our actions, in our speech, in our thoughts. I pray that you will sanctify this time and be glorified through it. And I would ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.